Catholic grand debate. We're going to be figuring it all out today. <clears throat> yeah, and the answer is no. <laughs> Maybe the answer is yes, like the that moon faced. Yes. The answer is that guy on the good place who like got it all correct because he like had a shroom strip or something. Are you recording this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah! 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 We we got energy. My pa- I I have my parents are gonna start listening to this, so I gotta be on my best behavior. Oh, you better be on your best behavior, so you don't want to talk about your ticket. No, they know. They had to come pick me up. Oh, <laughs> so Ken got in trouble. Should we say? Um, but he knows his rights. Should we be really? <laughs> Gilvin Daughtry taught me. Mm-hmm. He learned it from uh, Gilvin from, Daughtry. From Gilvin Daughtry or David Cross's character. Um, Should we start with the heavy shit and then? Yeah. Well, so okay. today we're gonna talk about. We'll talk about a little bit about the elephant in the room, which is the riots in the U.S. And uh, then I have a, a little book review for for you all, and uh, which will tie into another discussion on basic income because the Yang Gang just continues to be a part of the show yeah well (laughs) so so yeah so uh to to recap i guess there was there's some uh protest mass protests going on um i took a very strong interest in it um a lot of my work has been on popular protests and what motivates popular protests and what comes after so i have found that really fascinating um there has been, I think, in my opinion, this was inevitable. Um, I think when this happens, it's indicative of a long history of like disavowal. I think there's a deep psychiatric disavowal in the American mind, like in the Freudian sense, you know. No, I don't need that's way above me. Like <laughs> bring it bring it down for our audience. <laughs> like when you strategically locate an event so you don't fully deny it, but then you like disregard its relevance. So I think in like the US mind, like they still acknowledge things like slavery and segregation, um, because it's not intellectually possible to not acknowledge it. But then right. what they've been trying to do is kind of downplay how it's been impacting communities today. Okay. And I think because it is deeply difficult to come to terms with the fact that the society that's been idealized to you growing up is not really what it seems. Um, I think yeah. it's very painful to people. Uh, but speaking as uh, someone of Lebanese descent, I can say that uh, the government of Lebanon will be sending some peacekeepers and observers Mm -hmm. to monitor the situation (laughs) and hopefully uh, teach you how to practice democracy in America. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, that was good. I'm I'm offended. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rest in peace. George um, Floyd, yeah, George Floyd. yeah, that that is really sad. I, how bad is the training 
that people this particular guy had like multiple complaints multiple incidences multiple right. like things yeah and our girl boss lib femme hero amy klobuchar uh failed to prosecute these past in- past incidences um and so and she's being considered for biden's vice president pick which is really funny because then you've seen people on twitter being like oh of course you have to blame the woman for it. <laughs> oh fuck oh <laughs> yeah Uh, i was Um, being go on sorry no but i'm just i just think like you know what kind of training are these guys receiving both in the law and in like physical training you know like you should know how to use restraint like my brother is trained in jujitsu and he knows how to like you know make it so that for instance he knows how to control the choke or like control Mm -hmm. the and it's kind of like you know, if you're going to be doing that kind of work, shouldn't you be better trained in that sort of yeah. thing? Uh, I think Andrew Yang wanted a purple belt minimum in jujitsu. Yeah, he did. Cool. He did. That's like Ryan. <laughs> that that's kind of funny. That's I. That's the sort of Joe Rogan representation we need in in U.S. politics. But I think if that were the case, then no one would become cops. Because... Well, who would want to be a cop or a teacher these days? Yeah, we said that last week. Yeah. Um, I would love to be a teacher. I think teachers are awesome. Like a but I would not want to be a cop. How much but like high school teacher or professor? Any kind. I think teaching is great. The thing about high school teachers though is they're really Yeah. Well (laughs) Yeah. Um I think that's the thing is that uh teachers here are so disrespected. Like, if yeah. they were more respected, it would be a better job. And I think our education system would be a lot better as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think they are really important. I think teachers really shape you. And they yeah. really shape... And I think also just mentors really shape you as well. Yeah. Damn, um, I, want, I want one so badly. A mentor? Yeah. I know a few I can connect you with. You need a big wanna... sister, Ken. Who, honestly, <laughs> couldn't hurt. Um, I'm too old though I'm supposed to have it figured out but I'm just another failing neckbeard flailing around (laughs) (laughs) high key it's an interesting narrative too anyone has a room for me to rent in Montreal and uh, hit me up and if you want a mentor then you know if anyone has a room for me here hit me up Mm I I have decided to stay here oh it's official Mm-hmm. Did you? Are you gonna go further? Uh, yeah, and I am headed to law school. Oh shit! Did you already but, accept it? Like full mm-hmm. stop? Wow! I'm gonna, I'm gonna help the people who want to know their rights. And you'll make money, and you'll have free speech. Yeah, I'm gonna be fighting for my <laughs> free speech. I honestly feel like you can have way more of that now that you're going that way. Yeah. Yeah, me too um i won't get into details because i don't want to get sued but i i I do think there is definitely an issue in academia when it comes to holding powerful people accountable um the tenure system is a it's a on one hand i think it's beneficial because it can protect a professor's free speech um and academic freedom but on the other hand it can be bad if you have profs that 
can't keep it in their pants. So it's kind of like you gotta weigh it out. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so that'll be fun. Um, I've been really inspired by all the legal professionals that have been uh, taking people's cases pro bono during these protests and just committing themselves to helping other people and uh you know just fighting the good fight oh here we go into it the good fight also also what? i need to get my cousins out of jail no i'm kidding what um, um what cases are they taking on like grabbing an iphone from a mac store no so these are specifically cases that involve i think issues with confrontations with like the cops for instance mm-hmm. um i don't think there are many I don't know. Honestly, I don't want to speak from a case of, from a position of ignorance here, um, and I don't. I don't think it is possible to evaluate. I've said this before, but the problem with spontaneous protests is there's going to be so many different actors with so many different kinds of grievances that mold into like one broad framework. So, for instance, like I said before, in Egypt when you had the protests. You had a bunch of people that hated the government, but they all hated the government for different reasons. You had the feminists, you had uh, the the conservative Islamists. Obviously, those two are not on the same side, but they were in some respects, right? And they all protested in different ways. And so it's it's very difficult to sort of <laughs> put a broad umbrella over yeah. this at this stage of spontaneity. If it becomes a cohesive movement, which it might, it has that potential, then you can evaluate it more based on group dynamics. But right now it's very uh, chaotic, I think. I think yeah. right now it's more of some, it's like someone who is in pain and is, is lashing out because they're in pain and they feel powerless. And this is due to, I think, decades of failed policy. But uh, Wow, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I shared some fractious emails like a few hours ago, and you did. I was kind of trying to trigger you, and you did amazingly well. So, oh, congrats. yeah, you again, earn my respect. I can't. There's only a few things that trigger me, and one is people who say that golf is a real sport, hmm. and <laughs> I like golf, it's yeah. not like a real athletic endeavor, it's more of like mm-hmm. a social function. Gareth Bale would disagree. No, no, it is though. It is. Um, if I tried to golf, if I tried to drive right at like my current state of debauchery, I would probably <laughs> like think about that motion. Anyways. Yeah. So that's one of the things that trigger me. And then I think the second biggest thing that triggers me are um, the lib fems, but I'm trying to not be bothered by them. But you know, they just they just persist. Nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs> You know, is that, that a meme? Yeah. <laughs> that's, deep, that's deep feminist meaning. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I no, I don't know. I actually don't think I'm that triggered by them. I think the golf thing is one of the things that really grinds my gears the most. And then the th- other thing that really uh, gets to me is when people um, ask me something that I've already answered. Like what? What do so, you get asked a lot? If I'm at home and I'm doing something and like Someone will ask, are you working this week? And I've already told them that I am. But I'm like, <laughs> like I don't know why that upsets me so much. Like, I just well, hate repeating myself. That? My mom asks me that a lot. Yeah, like, yes, yeah. Or no. Like, yes, I always yeah. work on this day. <laughs> like, like, I, I have the same thing. Uh, except sometimes I don't work. 
So yeah. it's a more warranted question. But I do think, you know, it's good to have these um, conversations, like bring it back to what we were emailing about. And I was talking today to some other friends who were also not Black. I think it's good for us to have these conversations among ourselves um, and, you know, do some soul searching among yeah. ourselves, um, as well as like listen to people who are directly impacted by things like police brutality and stuff like that uh-huh. so i think it's good to like have this discourse and it's something i'm interested in it's something i'm interested in writing about yeah. um especially you know a lot of people are comparing this to the arab spring now i mean both started out very spontaneously um, um so i want to lighten it up because okay. i feel i'm i'm tired life is so tiring but you said decades of failed policy going forward do you have any suggestions Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so one thing is I think that when people come back from military missions in the U.S., a lot of them end up joining the police force because they think that that is a job most suited for them. But they bring military tactics with them to lo- like domestic policing. First of all, I don't think what the military is doing abroad is good either. I think that those should be abolished because I think that creates a culture of militarism that I don't think is healthy. Um, Unfortunately, I think a lot of American culture revolves around conceiving of an enemy to be afraid of, but to simultaneously be a strong man against. And I don't think that's healthy. So part of it's going to have to be a cultural change, I think. But I think there are concrete policies that we can do. So one thing is, you know, if someone's going to go from the military to the police force, we can't just uh, <laughs> just let them continue with those kinds of tactics when they're policing on the streets, and we can't give them leeway just because they're a traumatized soldier. Wow. Um, we, we need to be able to uh, differentiate. We, we need to essentially demilitarize the police. So no guns? I think that... Uh, disarming the police would definitely make uh, officer-related shootings less likely. And I think that for a few reasons. One is that cops even putting their hand near their gun tends to escalate violence in Mm. situations that otherwise wouldn't have violence. Um, I think another thing is that it would make them less trigger happy and it would make them think twice themselves about escalating if they didn't have a weapon on them. Mm-hmm. Um, they might learn better fighting tactics that make them less likely to use uh, unrestrained force or like Yang said, purple belts in jiu-jitsu. Oh. Um, I don't know if like that in particular is a solution, but um, something like that. I think, you know, one of the most spouted doctrines in our legal codes in both Canada and the U.S., is that no one is above the law and it's to be applied equally. And I don't think that that happens at all when it comes to American policing. Mm -hmm. So I think the failure to apply the law equally is what enrages people. And I think, you know, you'll see that that enrages people in all scenarios, whether it's cops, whether it's politicians, like even if you think, for instance, about Trump and those guys chanting lock her up about Hillary Clinton, Uh um, part of that frustration, I think, came from the fact that she committed criminal actions and didn't receive any consequences for it. I think that the general, that is something that upsets the general public. If a police or a politician does not face the same kind of criminal penalties that other civilians face. So I think if you want to like say de-escalate the tensions right now, you need to make it so that 
everybody faces the same consequences for whatever mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. I think that is a huge one, whether it's politicians, whether it's any any figure at all, but you cannot just let people off the hook because of their position mm-hmm. in society, you know? So If this guy goes free, there will be so much chaos. It just occurred mm-hmm. to me that he might not get charged. I mean, a lot of times they don't, and that's what happens. But this, this feels like this. Fe- I don't know. Maybe I haven't been paying attention, but this feels like the so much more. It's come to a head, or it was so much more obvious. I mean, maybe it's that there's only so many times that it can happen before people just break. Um, but I think also, I mean, similar things happen with Baltimore and Ferguson. So I'm not really sure. I think you know. We'll see what happens. I think, you know, he can very plausibly get charged mm. at this point because he has a record already. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. if you have a record already, it's easier to get charged than if you Even don't. the public pressure. Mm-hmm. This feels different to me. I don't know. It might be. We don't know. We'll see. It, it Honestly, unfortunately, a lot of it will depend on the discretion of, like, the judge or jury or mm-hmm. the prosecutor. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to depend on a lot of other factors. Um, but I do think that, like, while I think that the whole punitive model in the States in itself is very flawed, I think that, you know, like I said, seeing uh, people in positions of authority not face the same consequences is what really enrages the public. Right. And, and that'll enrage the public no matter who it is, right? Um, I mean, even if you think about it, like... I remember when I was young, I'd always want a justification for why an authority figure was behaving in the way they did. Mm -hmm. Even though I'd never face anything even close to what, you know, people are facing in these circumstances. But I think it just generally bothers people when people arbitrarily exercise authority and, like, don't get the consequences for it. So I think, you know, that kind of system needs to be rethought. Mm -hmm. And maybe new accountability models can come to light there. What if everyone is wearing like Google Glass um, contact lenses and so every interaction is always being recorded? You know how crazy interactions will get? Could you please yeah. pick up that box for me? Yes, here you go. <laughs> like, you know, get like. That reminds me of like Nassim Taleb's book when he talks about um, how someone was rude to him in the parking lot and he just pulled his camera out and started filming him and then, <laughs> and then the guy stopped being rude. Yeah. I think the issue with that, though, is first of all, I don't think people are going to agree to be constantly being filmed all the time. Um, Who's freeze? Whose rights is it? Yeah, and also if you're a cop and you you can just turn off your thing. But think about like everybody having their camera on twenty four seven. Yeah, that's true. Being that sounds uploaded, scary though. I uploaded like in it. real time to the cloud. Yeah, no, me neither. But mm-hmm. it would be interesting. That would be a good like dystopian movie. That sounds like a Black yeah. Mirror episode, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I I think the camera stuff. I in, in the book I'm reading right now. The author is saying how like people thought body cams would be such a good idea, but they're not because body cam footage can be selectively turned on and off. Oh, okay. And yeah, but yeah. think about every single person. Yeah, well, if it was every he was thing. talking about police yeah, body yeah, cams. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there is a deep problem. I think part of the problem is going to be economic as well. I think, you know, the more economically unstable people are, the more discontent they're going to be with the existing system. Why are people 
looting, for instance, because they feel a, uh, I mean, people are not ever, I think I saw this in like a tweet the other day, that society fails to provide people with the resources they need. Eventually, they're just going to take things themselves. Well, a TV, though, like, I'm a little less, I'm a UBI pro guy, but like, I don't know. I, I'm like a liar and a cheater, but like, I don't think I can justify like, oh, the window's smashed. I'm just going to quickly grab a TV. Like, that's not... I think that's more like a fuck you kind of thing than it is a necessity thing. But I think that if you are in a position where you have nothing to lose, you're more likely to just do I that. It's more like you think you won't get caught. But I totally disagree. I think looting is such a public act because, like, if you think about it, um, Ranaji Gu has a really good book on this, by the way, guys. And he talks about the difference between ordinary crime and protest crime. And mm-hmm. so he says that, you know, an ordinary crime, if you're a thief, you, you do things as covertly as you can. Uh-huh. Whereas if you're looting, has always been a component of public protest. And has it's it? kind of, yeah. He, okay. So he was talking about looting in. Uh, Indian peasants looting protests, yeah, and it was done to sort of undermine these sites that people thought were invincible to Mm -hmm. be like, "Uh, you're not invincible there's more of us than there are of you and I don't think people are all consciously thinking that Um, but I do think that there is a distinction to be made between looting and theft, I mean I don't think I would loot but (laughs) I'd just be too scared to, but yeah. But I mean, I'm, I don't really feel like I'm in a position to moralize because the government's been looting black people since its inception. So mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of the looters are like not black, though, as far as I can tell from what I've seen. I, don't, I feel like that's a random very... people breaking windows. Yeah, I feel like that's a very commonly said thing, though, in all protests. What? Like the, the notion of like the outside agitator. Like saying, oh, well, they're not even black from another city. Well, Um, maybe it's true. I don't think it is because most of the arrests were all citizens of Minnesota. But I don't know, like, what their racial demographics were. Anyway, I mean, at the end of the day, all of these places have insurance. They're not going to lose anything. I'm not going to cry for them. I don't think it's great, but I don't think it's the central problem. And I think, um, you know, the fact that some people choose to fixate on that rather than the underlying problem, I I just don't think that's right. But, like, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Um, I do think that we're seeing a lot of tactics that have been classic protest tactics, though, and that includes looting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty good defense of looting, but I'm still incredibly, uh, skeptical. That's fine, I mean... Yeah. Some people, you know, I don't think people what have about, to like looting. What about the narrative that the looters are white supremacists? Have you seen that one floating around? Oh, because one of them was confirmed to be a cop. <laughs> it was like a white cop. it was? But I, I, I don't know. There has been some weird mixing in the... Because pro- there's undercover cops in the protests and, like, some of them start fights to see who will escalate with them. Okay, well, this who is in, behind the protest is bored, frustrated, opportunistic people, fundamentally. That's why, like, there's this huge narrative confusion about who's behind the protest and why I'm so skeptical about looting as, um, as prote- a valid protest. Right, but I think if you look at, like, the people who are actually speaking to the protests, like, I've seen a ton of, a lot of them were the same activists that organized in Ferguson, Baltimore, they're Black activists, many of them have lost 
people close to them to police violence and have spoken very powerfully to why they're out there today. And like I said, with a protest, anyone can join. That's the thing about a protest. Anyone can join. If anyone has any grievance, anyone can join. But I do think that there is a genuine pain and sadness in Black America, and I'm seeing that in a lot of the protests. So it's mm-hmm. very hard to to sort of generalize about... I, the thing is, is that this is a spontaneous protest, so there's no one force behind it. There can't be, because... Yeah. It's just, it, it's not organized. It's a, it's a spontaneous thing. Um, but I think the fact that so many people are joining shows that it's not just Black America that's frustrated. It's everyone that's frustrated with the fact that these there are a group of people who are not accountable to the law that they themselves are enforcing. And mm-hmm. that is infuriating, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my two cents. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading about it. I'm not going to know. I, I'm never <laughs> going to figure this out, and I will never have... It's hard to I, figure it out. Even yeah. if you look at, like, if you look at Egypt, for instance, um, the protest there started because one guy got killed by the police, and there was a Facebook memorial page for him. Yeah. And then it attracted so many people. Yeah. And then everyone came out to protest. But that doesn't mean that everyone that came out to protest agreed with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. It just meant that they were all enraged at this, this death. So now we're at this point where someone's going to have to har- either harness this movement or nothing's going to happen. Hmm. So which do you think is more likely? And what, what, what are the two paths that you see forward? I think it's harder to harness harness spontaneity into a cohesive movement because that takes a ton of organizing i do think the movement for black lives has in the past done a good job at agitating for things and i think that they very possibly have the potential to do that here Mm -hmm. um so that's a possibility the other possibility is uh internal if internal division breaks out if numbers start to drop off um if it loses steam, then that might be an issue. Or if they get forcibly broken up by the military, like what happened in Lebanon in 2014. In Le- there was a really interesting protest in Lebanon. And I don't know if you heard about it, but it was about garbage. What happened? So the government didn't pick up the garbage. Like, I don't know if you, there was like a crisis because- the- I, Yeah, I heard about this. I think you probably told me. Yeah. I mean, Lebanon being the libertarian utopia that it is um, has no public services. At all, ever? Nothing that's, like, properly running because they don't really tax people. I thought there was a strike. They just don't really have competent services. Um, and so people started protesting because they were like, this is disgusting. Like, the streets all smelled like shit. Um, and the protesters called funny. you stink. I wish I was there, kind of. Yeah, could it's be just fun. like you don't a lot, you don't get to see that kind of like, like everything's kind of fine, but there's a very kind of literary symbol of things not being fine, kind of. Yeah, everywhere. yeah. Well, I think a lot of it was largely economic frustration because I think, I mean, almost half the population lives below the poverty line. And okay. so it's like, you know, and you have these politicians who some of them are, are billionaires. They, uh, you know, make all this money from corruption. 
and they provide nothing to its citizens. They, they don't have health care. They don't have any social safety nets at all. And the government can't even pick up the garbage. So yeah. <laughs> people were mad. And I think, you know, that's every protest starts off with pent up anger that has been accumulating for a long period of time because no one's just gonna go out if they're pissed at one thing that they just react to right away you need to have something that's been building up over time eventually it'll explode into a spontaneous act and then when revolutions happen oh, that is when that is when someone harnesses the movement and transforms political society i mean that's how the u.s started Okay, what is the best, what is the, I haven't heard anyone ask this question, what is the best outcome of, if you're looking at this energy as a potentially positive force? Um, Okay, I think it depends if the outcome's going to be directly tied to what happened with George Floyd, or if the outcome's going to be about policing in general. I think the easiest thing that the police can do right now in the U.S. to both save taxpayer money and to stop just general pain and poverty and mass incarceration and the drug war. Mm -hmm. That is the the easiest thing to do because so much money is funneled into the drug war. They have spent $50 billion. I have to fact check that, but I think that's correct. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to call you out. (laughs) Yeah. uh, They have spent so much money on the drug war. It has not cut drug addiction at all. Drug addiction is still just steadily going. People are dying people are being incarcerated, black people are being incarcerated at, for much longer periods than white people are being incarcerated for the same drug-related crimes. If there's anything that the U.S. could do to just make things so much better, that would be so easy to do. It would just be ending the drug war. So would that be, I think I agree, would that be decriminalizing everything or? I just... think it would be not, prosec- not prosecuting nonviolent drug-related offenses. It might be easier to actually decriminalize than actually like try and legalize a bunch of, or even just like, because prosecutors can kind of, can't they, but they have a bit of leeway. And if you've got like different mm-hmm. districts doing whatever they want, it might be easier just to decriminalize over across the board. But I don't know. I'm obviously. Yeah. No, I think that's true. And I mean, I think, you know, if anything, drugs should be treated like a public health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I just think that is one way to really first of all it would end overcrowding of prisons which costs again a ton of taxpayer money mm-hmm. you could what? literally make a basic income from that alone there you go wow like, <laughs> we got it but okay, what, is, what is what is the larger because like that i agree with that but i want you to say something i don't agree with like a larger utopian ideal no, no, I'm not a utopian. That's okay, I know. That's why I'm using that word. But like, um, what, what is the... I think, de- okay, here's one. Demilitarize the police. Okay, so no guns? Yeah. Okay. I think that there's a long Maybe road just to that. A little, a little 22, like just smaller caliber. <laughs> some of my libertarian friends why not tranquilizer yeah well that's on. better but um some of my libertarian friends they like to joke they say yeah i'm from gun control for the police Bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah no it's, Got like, it's very endearing um 
but I think you know it's definitely a problem. I think yeah, I think that uh, you know turning your streets into like something that looks like a war zone is just bound to make everybody tense mm-hmm. and like need some heroin. <laughs> mandatory cops have to smoke a J before I'm going to work. Yes. Ooh, I'm, linking, I'm linking the strokes to 1984. Or wait, uh, no. Brave New World. Fuck. Close one. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's just so many, like, there are uh, immediate policy holes. There are some people who have goals of prison abolition. I I feel like I'm not well versed in it enough. Yeah. But, um, there's a book Basically, by Anthony Davis on it. But I do think what is possible is to not imprison people for non-violent offenses or like instead of put people in prison put them in like some rehab or mental health facility Mm -hmm. something like that i'd almost rather be in prison than in the state asylum but i've never been in either so (laughs) i think both are probably similar hashtag foucault you know that famous foucault thing about how like hospitals and schools are like prisons Uh, vaguely I, I see it. That postmodernist cop. <laughs> um, I, yeah. What was, yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's something that is worth considering. Um, None of that, oh, but okay, there's a, when, like, when we were kind of trigged in the email, I, like, the, the tone Were we st- trigged in the email? I, I think we were a little trigged. We can acknowledge that. There was a little bit of friction i was making noodles at the time and like oh okay i know you guys never admit that you're trigged on the left but um yeah that sounds very reasonable i thought you were gonna say something much more well the thing that you showed me i think the one issue i took with it is it seemed to suggest that the reason why people were protesting was because of the video in isolation rather than the video being contextualized in a larger history of black subordination and then another thing that kind of i was unsure about was you know that was said okay well we don't know the full context of the story so i think either way it's unacceptable hi that's the name of the pod either way it's unacceptable to you know me on someone for eight minutes what if what if he was already having trouble breathing like what if what if there's like damning technicalities and he gets off and then i have to be like well those seem to be true and then there's like crazy rioting and a bunch of people die um but what i just do mila well i don't think there's just anything justifiable in that like the surveillance footage showed that he wasn't resisting yeah the cop already has a history of yeah. aggression and you know again you don't need to do that for eight minutes Mm-hmm. it's just that's nuts to me no it's yeah it's not a good it's not good policing to say the very very least i mean and so i just i i just don't like this conception that i think a lot of people are attracted to where like people with genuine political grievances are dismissed as kind of like stupid and overreacting because i think there's so many legitimate grievances out there um and i think that you know there are ideals that americans preach and then there are uh, ideals that they want you to follow, and it's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Like this whole notion of like, stand up for yourself, don't tread on me, blah, 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 blah. And then like when people are like, okay, we've been tread on, can you not tread on me? And then they're like, oh, are you sure that you've been tread on actually? Like yeah, that kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I think you, you said it. What else can we talk about? 
So, so uh, should I do my, my book review? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I just recently read this book. Um, I think, okay, so I read this book. I mean, I still have some reservations about UBI, and I can talk about that when we talk about this book. Um, so I read this book, and it's called Arab Humanist, uh, The Necessity of Basic Income. It is by uh, a Lebanese woman named Nohad Nassif. She's super kind. She gave me the book to read. And um, so I'll, I'll say a bit about Nohad first. Um, so first of all, the book now is for, it's free on Amazon and Universal. Kindle until August. So, or sorry, until the end of August. So if you want to pick it up, I'll put a link in the bio. Uh, you can check it out. I read it in one day. It was, it was uh, very accessible and um, just, you know, it was good. Um, so she also worked for Marcel Khalifa, who was uh, a Lebanese composer, singer, and he was an oud player. I don't know if you ever heard the oud. It's like, so. yeah, it's really cool. So she worked for a musician. She was a layout designer for his CDs. Um, the, her book is being considered for the Arab American Book Award. And Carl Whitterquist endorsed her book, saying that it's a very captivating and relevant book. So she wanted to say that she wrote this book, especially as an Arab and as a woman, to advocate for freedom of mind and action and freedom from exploitation and abuse. Um, she advocates for UBI because she believes that it is part of the solution. This book is largely um, about a woman named Lulu. She is a woman from Lebanon. She grows up in a very conservative religious setting. Um, and first of all, that really shocked me to read because... I had never conceived of Lebanon to be that conservative. So my dad and I discussed it and I was like, wow, we were in such a bubble because like, I mean, I thought my family was conservative, but this was the next level. So she talks about, you know, the stigma involved with things like not wanting to veil and, um, you know, how there's a scene where uh, the character gets bawled out for talking to a male taxi driver, stuff like that. How do you take a taxi without talking to a taxi driver? Yeah, I don't know, but okay, <laughs> I don't know. Some societies just find ways to blame everyone for everything. Um, so anyway, the story, um, you know, kind of emphasizes the fact that the main character is uh, in living in poverty. Um, she moves to the U.S. to kind of get a better life. Um, and she meets a man who works with her. He's an American man, and he um, they sort of enter a sort of relationship, but then the main character also gets put in an arranged marriage by her family yeah. while she's in love with this other guy. The arranged marriage doesn't work out. The guy and her are not compatible. She leaves him. She opts for dating this other guy. The guy is um, actually seeing another woman. So, but she has nowhere else to go because um, she runs away from her family. Mm -hmm. And so she has to stay with this guy, even though he's very clearly abusive. It gets very tragic. Uh, the guy ends up like at one point trying to get her to kill herself. Um, he's, he's just very abusive. Uh, she ends up trying to escape him. She runs out of his car and she goes to a woman's shelter. Um, and a guy at the woman's shelter rapes her or tries to rape her. Sorry. Um, 
and then she goes runs back to this guy this abusive guy anyway so i mean now she's fine and well at the end she's pregnant she has a son and she decides to keep the baby cheers um so so she she has the baby and yeah there's also a ton of artwork in the book that's really nice um so basically the case made here is that if this woman um was able to have a basic income she would not be subjected to abuse because if she had an a the kind of basic income that would allow her to um, access the basic resources need to, needed to survive, like housing, for instance, stuff like that. So essentially, she's arguing that um, this is the path to freedom. And I, I think it's very similar to Carl's argument as well. And I was very compelled. Um, I think, I, I mean, some things that I wonder with UBI and stuff like that is, okay, well, like, if there's, couldn't we have, like, say, a housing initiative or uh i don't know like uh, just other social safety nets but i do think that you know giving an an income without means testing would be very meaningful in this scenario Mm -hmm. so i did find that uh very compelling as well um it really got me thinking about how not having so much abuse in this world really comes down to not having the correct or not having the proper financial means to be independent yeah and i find that so depressing and and that that's kind of what was so sad to me and she was very young at this point not like a child so i remember with carl we were talking about giving a basic income to kids Mm -hmm. but i love that idea it's so funny like it's yeah go on it makes me giggle we could talk about that but i have some thoughts but i i think that you know it made a very um it was very interesting to read because i think a lot of times when i see the case being made for basic income it's not made on such a emotional and personal and like just really uh hold on Mm-hmm. and just really like from the heart to people like yeah. this was essentially like this is how it could have benefited a woman in pain yeah um whereas usually the cases i hear made for it are very structural mm-hmm. and they come from a sort of oh this would just be economically the most efficient thing mm-hmm. yeah so this is very personalized um and I think that's powerful. And I've kind of learned to value that kind of writing more as I've been working and the job I've been working in in the past year because my writing used to be very cold and academic. Mm-hmm. And then when I now that I work like advocating for girls, I find that my writing has to be a lot more like personalized. Yeah. And I do think that this book kind of showed the value in that, even when it's advocating for like an economic policy. Mm-hmm um and so yeah i don't know i was i was very interested to check that out and uh i i definitely recommend taking a look at it it's, it's short there's, mm-hmm. pic- there's pictures um it's yeah it, the, it's very fascinating artwork and i think you know it it almost has this like rousseauian notion of like freedom as non-dependency wow <laughs> that sounds dope I yeah love, i love freedom I think you would enjoy it a lot. It's very much about, you know, having the freedom to make your own decisions. And that largely comes from not being financially dependent on other people. Did we talk about 
Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about um like mask wearing at all? I don't really want to, but I just did we? The mask I don't know. I feel like it's not a big issue in Vancouver. No, it's not. It's such an American thing. It's yeah, yeah. But yeah. There's just this one poster that uh was kind of funny to me. It was when was when did it kind of summarize something of a a cultural disconnect. It was when when was when when did freedom become more important than safety? <laughs> Which made me giggle. Um but yeah. Oh my god. I, I think it wasn't ironic either. Like they weren't aware that there was people who totally value freedom more than safety. Yeah. But the problem is like let's say we talk about it from a purely libertarian standpoint. The mask isn't for you, it's for other yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. So then you'd be violating the nap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, freedom ain't not free. <laughs> Have you seen that Eric Andre video when he's like no. with the freedom girls and then he gets arrested? Oh no. And, and like the, the security guards are pulling him out and he's in like a skirt and he's like, freedom ain't not free. Oh, Eric. Eric is a, kind of like a TikToker. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, I think we were talking about that TikTok yeah. guy with the, um, oh, remember man. the Fruit Loops one? Yeah. My body is your communion. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's good performance art. Anyway, sorry, that's like a huge tangent from the book. But yeah, to wrap that, I think uh, Nohad, this book is is uh, really from the heart. And I appreciated reading something so genuine. Um, and I definitely recommend it. I'll put some links in the description. Should we do an um, audiobook? There is an audiobook for well, it. There is already an audiobook. Is it an asthma audiobook? No. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So we have more asthma Bible readings coming up for you guys. Didn't we say we had an idea for the next one? I forgot what we said it would be. I think it was something other than the Bible. Yeah. But I forget. We could do the Quran. Twilight. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. We can't but... do. I have a Quran, but it's in Arabic. Oh. Fuck. You can learn Arabic for it. Uh, that's a lot of work mm-hmm. yeah need- my boyfriend just like read the bible for fun like the whole thing the whole thing How yeah. long- wow that's impressive because he read the quran and he wanted to read both the quran and the bible he doesn't practice abrahamic religions like his family's hindu mm-hmm. um and so he just wanted an insight into that life and uh he he likes the book of job thought it was entertaining oh, yes. yeah i really like baruch it's like it's just like no nonsense advice you know one of my family members uh, their last name is barcha which is like baruch it both they both mean blessed oh nice blessed. Baruch. <laughs> that was spinoza's name too but yeah i don't remember that book to be honest i remember being so mad at the book of job like well, I was like, I, this is it's fucked. like so unfair. Yeah, it's pretty. Well, rude. I was just like, God thinks he's so good. Yeah, that he can do. It was like you know when you're mad at authority for being. Yeah. It comes down to that, like when authority, because God's just like I'm God, like that's his yeah. justification for everything. And I was like, excuse I, me, sir. I always found Jesus like very uh, verbally like you say that I am. <laughs> like just answer <laughs> the question, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but who am I to judge? The Son of God. Well, it's not technically him; it's the accounts of him. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So judge the writers. Yeah, the Holy Spirit was not strong with this one. 
<laughs> oh my god. Did you go outside today? I did. I went for a walk in the pouring rain. Um, I hated it. I hate walking oh, in the rain. I'm gonna... I'm just about to do that. It's like my favorite thing, like this type of light and the rain. It just makes I, me depressed. I'm a really artistic fool. I I just I don't know. I love it when it's nice and sunny out. Like yesterday, it was so beautiful. Went to the track. All was well. Well. Um. I though. yeah. I really need to like move or stop smoking or both. I'm like this. Is, I'm fucked up right now. With smoking. Oh, did I tell the truck story? Well, you didn't tell everyone about your ticket. Did I? But I did. Did I tell the truck story on the pod? You said on the premium episode that you oh, were getting okay. a truck. Oh, okay. Well, did did I tell you what happened? You told me that you like got pulled over. That's all you told oh, yeah. me. Yeah, I got to. So let me tell the story. Okay, so I get this truck. I'm gonna do landscaping. Blah blah blah. Then I think to myself, hey. Why don't I just drive across the country to Montreal, hitting the open road with the Kings of Leon and the windows open and a cigarette? Mm, nothing sounds freer than that. But uh, so I get my truck and I go to pick up my friend. And we go for a little drive. And I pull into this gas station in Squamish. And I think the vibes are weird, right? I'm looking around. like There's like kind of like weird, fucked up homeless people around. Like it's not a good vibe. I'm like, hey, this is just what it's like up here. I'm not being weird. I'm just being neurotic. So I go in, I get a Red Bull, I come back, I try and unlock the trunk to take a look at the engine because it's my new truck and I want to take a look and I fail, which is, I guess, kind of embarrassing, but, you know, not necessarily cause to call the police, but someone called the police and said that they thought I was drunk. So my vibe was weird, the ultimate validation for a neurotic person. <laughs> um, and then I get pulled over because there's this big Chad truck like right on my ass. So I speed it up because it's on a single lane highway. <laughs> I can, you know, okay, sure, sure, sir. I can safely drive a little bit faster. And then the lights come on and I get pulled over. Oh, and that's the end of that truck. So I was going to spend four days driving around. If I didn't get a ticket and if the truck didn't break down, I could drive it across the country. But I got pulled over. So now I'm flying to Montreal when, I don't know, soon. When COVID comes, I don't know. Oh my god, <sighs> that's the end of my story, end of my freedom. Wow, freedom ain't not free, <laughs> it's expensive. Yeah, that's, I mean, just get a license. It's <laughs> I can't even book an end test right now because ICBC. Wait, why? Because I, oh, because ICBC is totally closed. Yeah, um... I need to cancel my insurance that I paid for too, and hopefully I can get some of that back. But there's, I can't find the right number to call, and ICBC offices are closed. Oh, mm-hmm. and turns out my license was still prohibited. Um, why? Because I had an L. I'm gonna admit to like federal crimes here, but I had an L, <laughs> and so I was driving around with provincial like, crime, but yeah, provincial crime, yeah, put me in the uh, provincial pen. But I, I was driving around with an L, and. Uh, that's like you're not allowed to do that but but also my license was still prohibited because i forgot to pay some sort of reinstatement fee that i so just the bureaucracy never ends so fuck yeah it's so funny here i mean the stuff that like my dad and like my cousins in lebanon have told me about like over there versus here with the driving is so funny like i i I know people that start driving when they're like 12 and they take their parents car um but something there that's wild is i don't know if everybody does this but there was like a trend where it was like fashionable to rip the seatbelts out of the car (laughs) 
<laughs> because they Men thought... freedom more important than safety. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what the Lebanese understand that more than anyone. <laughs> so, so my cousins, I remember we were driving my cousins. I was like, why don't you have seatbelts here in your car? And he was like, oh, it makes the car look ugly. <laughs> and that's why you rip them out. Yeah, damn. That's commitment. I wish I was there. Yeah, don't rip out your seatbelts. I think they're Sh- there. Should I, do, should I do the creepy teaching English tour? <laughs> oh, my God. Like where you go to China and stuff? Oh, uh, yeah. Don't you need a degree for that? Oh, uh, piece of paper. Should, you can forge a degree. University of British Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like don't they make a call to the universities? Like, if you present, if you tell someone you have a degree, do they check that? I think they can, but mostly they probably just take your word for it. Yeah, I don't think my workplace is like called McGill, but I feel I would feel so weird lying about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, wasn't there? Oh, this is actually something from a Jonathan Franzen book. Never mind, Mm. this didn't actually happen. Well, I think. No, I think, you know, people have definitely done it, but I don't think, I don't know, it doesn't seem worth it. The teaching English tours, though, those are so weird. Wait, are there actual tours? I just meant, like, go somewhere. I could, like, hit all the spots. Like China? China. China? Japan. (laughs) Lebanon. Oh, my God. Well, in Lebanon, actually, I know someone that did that. They went to Lebanon to teach English. I'm pretty hard to hate. I don't know. I'm curious yeah. how that would go. I don't know. My cousin once told me this very, like, obviously embellished story about how he got in a fight with his English teacher. Uh, damn. <laughs> That's a commitment. Why, and I was wait, like, you obviously didn't. No, he why was just hate English teachers. I don't know. He was just like a mad teenager at the time, really into Eminem. Yeah. Just very into Eminem and hating his English teacher. Huh. Was... I'm so curious. Yeah, you don't know them, but... But why do they hate English teachers? Like, we don't hate French teachers. I feel like we definitely do. Do we? Dude, French teachers here get so much shit. Is it just because learning a language is difficult? I think also because they don't take it serious. Like, the ones here are not serious. The French teachers I've had here are so bad. My parents used to go in and, like, speak French to them (laughs) to try and, like, see how good they are at French. Those poor teachers. And then the teachers would be bad (laughs) at it. And then my parents would come home and be like, your French teacher doesn't know French. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I think they kind of get flacked for that, but... I definitely know how to speak English. Yay! (laughs) <laughs> that's a bonus I mean, they can't yeah imagine you going to like japan becoming a teacher <laughs> there you'd be like I, that'd be pretty uptight i don't know if i could fit in there be like, i, I found my waifu they are people of culture for sure oh my god <laughs> you know it's funny all of these like um companies were making like 19 year old female ais and japan was like 16 <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I was I was making this joke last week though about like why do the libertarians hate the postmodernists so much because both of them want a lower age of consent laws so they can unite over that. <laughs> I don't but even then, yeah, fair. But then so many libertarians I know are postmodernists, so they were like, okay. 
And then that was that. So I was like, yes. that did not land. Yeah, it was exactly like... <laughs> Wait, what, are, what age are they proposing? I think Foucault proposed like 14. Yeah, but let, what is like your modern, your modern, postmodern libertarian? I don't know. I never, I'm always afraid to ask. <laughs> you have to. We have to I, have Like, on. I don't want to know. Go all purple on them. <laughs> I don't know. That just weirds me out. Maybe it's like my Catholic influence morality but also i'm just kind of like i don't know just think about it like think about like an 18 year old you know there's so much like obviously like 17 year olds are gonna hook up with 15 year olds and like it shouldn't be illegal like there should be a neat way to deal with that i don't know i yeah if it's 17 year olds and 15 year olds then it's but then let's stretch it 18 and 14 suddenly it's like totally different right 18 and 14 yeah Yeah, that's creepy but (laughs) I just think it is. I don't know. I, I agree. Like, but there's there's this very like if you go through the numbers, it's like funny. Like, there's this very sudden like, whoa, no, stop. Yeah, I don't know. I, I what about what about sixteen and thirteen? Ew, no. I just I think there's <laughs> obvious differences in maturity mm-hmm. in certain ages. Like, I don't know. I think that when you're in, hi- I think first of all, if you're in high school and you're dating someone who's not in high school, there's going to be like an obvious difference in maturity. Are you talking about middle school? No, like if you're in high school and you're dating like a college student. You got um, to explain to me what postmodernism is. I still don't really know. We need to One, keep Monday. it back on for next, that next time. Yeah, I consider myself like anti-pomo in a lot of ways. So, oh but, shit. So basically, yeah. Well, Marxists and Pomos, they have this, like, ancient rivalry. I'm kind of joking. It's not ancient, but, um, yeah. Maybe I don't want to know. Do I really need to know about this? About Pomos? No, I think it's so, like, coldly academic and, like, not really, like, a thing in real but life. Is it, is it a, a, a worldview, like, a philosophical and literary movement of ideas? No, I feel like what it's more, it? like, a tool of analysis. It sounds like you don't even know. No, it's just, it's like a way of thought. Okay, so kind of a worldview. Yeah, but it's just like, among postmodernists, there's competing worldviews. Okay. You know what I mean? But I think postmodernists are very against grand narratives. Okay. And then Marxists are for, like, like Marxists have a a theory of history, and Mm postmodernists are kind of like, you can't Mm -hmm. do that. Now bells are ringing. Um... That was definitely an interesting Wikipedia article, but I think it's inevitable that you would have some sort of theory of history. Yeah. No reason to fight it that hard. I think Nietzsche was like the grandfather of postmodernism. Is that a hot take? No, I think, I think, like, for instance, Foucault gets a lot of stuff from Nietzsche. And I think, you know, a lot of his stuff kind of treats thing like he says okay well this assumption you have is actually a function of power and not truth and these moral these 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 methods of morality that we've been exercising come from like have a particularized social history and to an extent like i mean there are some things they say that are true in Mm -hmm. my opinion Mm -hmm. but there's some things that i think are too far Maybe we should do episodes as like points of view. Like I'll be a postmodernist next episode. Like J Rag. <laughs> you kind of like I, yeah. I do want to get Jajaj on. Jajaj, yeah, we. Sh- 
<laughs> if you're listening we have to introduce him to Shikshijish. yeah that's like our dream guest guys we he's kind of, he's been triggering me lately but what like, have you when when does the irony end the anti-porn I mean, like, stuff are you talking about uh you, just generally it's like when yes but when does the irony end on a larger front like are you gonna ever say anything <laughs> Were you just satisfied with this parasocial uh, relationship that we have? With the irony stuff. Dude, I really want to do, like, a thing on depression memes. <laughs> yeah, what would it... Like, a video? Or, or like, an a essay. Or an episode. Where it's, like... Meme re- basically, PewDiePie's meme review. Oh, my God. Subreddit <laughs> bro. And I'll watch submissions on the next episode of Luai. Shout out to Chris Chan. <laughs> I wonder what like, they're doing. Ironically and high key, that person has been tormented by a bunch of cucks. Yeah, that's really sad. I don't get, like, I've been thinking a lot about online bullying. How is it even real? Just walk away. <laughs> Just turn off your computer. Um, I need to tell all the fans this. I'm going to... Ken's Papa gonna... John's pizza. Oh my god, I had I... such a good dinner. I had udon noodles with gochujang and hot peppers. And mm. Damn. Ryan taught me how to make it. I can't cook. Sounds amazing. Um, um, no, I I think the as a rap topic, I think there's a genuine sort of issue on the internet where and I, I notice this among the left too. There's like these two extremes that I don't like. So one is this like hyper moralist extreme mm-hmm. where people care like way too much and then they use that as to leverage against you and be like, How dare you? Whatever. And then no, no yeah. You Nazi, you Maoist, whatever you want to say. Um, and then the other extreme is just like sort of making fun of people for caring about anything at all i mean i think it's fine to care about stuff um it's fine to not want to be moralized you know what i mean like just stop being a dick i think i stepped in shit something smells like poo (laughs) (laughs) it's not a bit but my what the hell is this a bit no this is a genuine truth yeah everyone needs to chill Oh, uh, but do they though? On the contrary. <laughs> Said Contra, my Twitter app. How's uh, Twitter? How's Twitter? It sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it's also great though, you know, you get oh. a little bit of everything. Yeah. I I you see some funny stuff, you see some uh terrible stuff. You see Vladimir Putin's top aide mocking U.S. sanctions. The only thing that interests me about the U.S. is Tupac, and I don't need a visa for that. Got him. I'm already, like, so annoyed. Um, (laughs) Yeah, just Tupac. No, there's a lot of stuff that people are annoying about. But, yeah, that's my wrap-up commentary. Should Should we make one more really smart and clever, beautiful point before we go? Yeah. Um, do you have one? <laughs> I thought you would have one. <laughs> no, nah, it's just like, should we? Um, I think that, um, I guess, rest in peace, George Floyd. Um, and, and also, like, lots of love to his family. That must be so tough. 
especially mm-hmm. when you know the like he's kind of being centered and and scrutinized right now in the public eye. Politicized. Um, I mean, death is political. That's inevitable. Whoa! What does that even mean? I guess there's that account. I disagree. No, yeah. Um, uh, but that, like whatever. Just rest in peace, George Floyd. Yeah, um, rest in peace. And uh, if you want to donate to some causes, I will link some stuff in the episode notes. Um, and everybody, stay safe out there. If you're protesting, wear a mask. Maybe um, just like Killer Mike said, to stay home. I don't know. Ugh. I mean, we're not American, <sighs> so don't take my advice on protesting because I'm not there. Um, just uh, lots of love to everybody. And I am sincerely hoping for a better tomorrow. Wow. That's beautiful. Uh, what song? Did you stop it? No, not yet. Okay, whatever. Let's end. Goodbye. Love y'all. Okay, bye guys. Yeah, yeah.